Hi again, this is Daniel J. Hogan, and welcome to the Magic of Airy podcast, brought to you by magicofairy.com. Last time, our heroes arrived in Tall, the Duckport town. Steve and Uncle Shameless were reunited with Mud, the duck bartender who helped the pair escape from the Hawk King's castle. Mud said he had a cousin that could aid the party in their journey to the mysterious Dragon's Well. Back at the Hawk King's castle, Fiak Ra was told by his elder mystic of Zoo there was a way he could overcome the power of the Blue Heron amulet which protected Steve. All he had to do was bring the boy back to Ark's Venator, alive. The Hawk King tasked his second-in-command, Unala, with bringing the boy back to him. Joining Unala in his quest were the bumbling gate guards, Remit and Kaz. To stay updated, follow me on Twitter, at Daniel J. Hogan, or follow Steve, at Steve Harrier. There's also a Facebook fan page for the podcast. Just search for Magic of Airy on Facebook. And now, the next fantastic episode of The Magic of Airy. The Magic of Airy, the podcast. Written and produced by Daniel J. Hogan. Based on the novel, The Magic of Airy, by Daniel J. Hogan. To learn more about the novel, please visit magicofairy.com or danieljhogan.com. And remember, Harry is spelled E-Y-R-I. Episode 23, An Odd Duck. Steve woke up the next morning with the sun shining brightly into his room at the Lighthouse Inn in the port town of Tall, freeing him from his dreams of talking dragons. Ugh, what a horrible dream, the boy said while sitting up in bed. Steve was thankful all that talking dragon nonsense was only a dream, and now everything was back to normal. Bad dream, eh? What was it about? It was about this weird... Steve turned towards the voice to see Tuga, the turtle lady who ran the inn, making the other beds. Feeling the absurdity of complaining about a talking dragon to a talking turtle, Steve said, <sighs> Never mind. You had a bad dream about the never mind? I'm not surprised. Tis a wicked place. No, I... Wait, what? You said you had a bad dream about the Nevermind, and I said... I know what I said. I said never mind, not never mind. What's the... Don't interrupt adults. Tis a wicked place, the Nevermind. You would not want to go there, trust me. Yes, but what is it? Tuga dropped the pillow she was fluffing and looked around to see if anyone else was listening. Tiny Turtle Lady tiptoed over to Steve and leaned next to him so that her wrinkled turtle face was only a few inches away from his. They say... They? They who? Asked Steve. Tuga lightly slapped the boy in the hand with her little turtle claw and scolded him once more for interrupting. They say... The Nevermind is a giant hole that leads to a lost underground kingdom. A kingdom that was one of the first in Eerie's history. So, why doesn't someone just go down there and find out? No one really knows where to find it. No one knows where to find a giant hole in the ground? Really? It is only a legend. But everybody knows about it. Oh yes, it is a very popular legend. 
Steve shook his head. He jumped out of his bed and went to the Lighthouse Inn's dining room. He found Uncle Seamus, Zeroth, and Era sitting at a table chatting. I don't know how he knew my name. Zeroth confessed over the clamor of the other patrons. I've never met him before yesterday. Are you certain? Asked Era. I'm pretty sure I'd remember meeting someone with flames pouring out of his eyes. Steve walked up to the table and pulled out a chair. What are you talking about? Nothing. Well, good morning, sleepy bones. Uncle Seamus shouted as he reached over and ruffled Steve's hair. Steve had joined the others just in time for breakfast, which consisted of a lavish spread of fruit, fish, and fresh bread. Uncle Seamus nearly caused a riot when he mistakenly asked for eggs over easy. After breakfast, Zero took Gladius out to see if the silver swordfish was in a better mood. The talking fish seemed to be, for the moment at least, and treated the party to tales of high adventure from his days with the last human king, Donald the Mighty. So we're out in the woods, yeah, looking for the proper floral arrangement to go with dinner. And Donald wanted these horrid blue flowers, and I said to him, I said to him, Nah, those will clash with the dress. Wait, wait, maybe they were orange. Nah, I can't remember exactly, but trust me, they were ghastly. Uh, for a talking weapon that's been around for a few hundred years, you have some really boring stories. Well, excuse me. Maybe if I hadn't been forsaken for the last few centuries, I would have something a little better. You go ahead and spend the next hundred years or so locked in a chest and see how many adventures you have, drunkie. The other patrons began turning their attention to the yelling silver swordfish, and all other conversations in the room stopped. Steve felt chills of embarrassment beginning to creep up his spine. It's all because of that lousy sword of Zop. I could have been the one that scarred Fiacra, but no! The swordfish mumbled as Zero stuffed it back inside his cloak while trying to avoid the piercing eyes of the other customers. <sighs> Of all the talking swords out there, I get the one that's emotionally unstable. You are listening to the Magic of Airy podcast, a free audiobook podcast by Daniel J. Hogan, available at magicofairy.com and through the iTunes Music Store. Mud the Duck eventually showed up to collect the party. He climbed onto a high stool next to the table. Well, my friends, I have good news and bad news. Without waiting for anyone to say which they wanted to hear first, Mud started with the good news. I was able to find my cousin. He is docked in town at the moment. Will he help us? Only if you ask him, Mud answered as he helped himself to some unfinished breakfast. What's the bad news? Well, it seems that your chum the Hawk King has put out a hefty reward for young Steve's capture. They want him dragged back to Ox Venator, kicking and screaming. So what? He wants me alive. No big deal. You do not understand. The Hawk King rarely offers rewards, except when hiring hunters. And when he does not use hunters, the reward is only open to his own warriors. But this time... The Hawk King has opened it up to everyone. Everyone? Everyone. <gasps> oh my. 
This is bad. There are enough shady characters in Aerie to make our quest a lot more interesting. Zeroth leaned in close to Mud and whispered, Have you heard if the Hawk King filed a formal complaint against me? Yes, I heard that someone at Ark Venator filled out a formal hunter complaint form yesterday. Zeroth buried his face in his hands, and he suddenly felt very ill. What type of form? I heard it was a... Dash TB. Mud said as he patted Zero's muscular arm with one of his small hands. There, there. There, there. Everyone in the group was worried for one reason or another. Except Uncle Shameless, who had fallen asleep in his chair and was snoring rather loudly. Mud turned to face Steve. The sooner you get on my cousin's ship, the better. There are not too many humans around Tall, especially after the incident in the village formerly known as Uth, the last human village. Speaking of, you should watch for survivors out for revenge. There was a loud snore and an even louder crash as Uncle Seamus landed face first into his plate of fish. Oh, what I miss? He said while picking bits of fish off his face. We just found out that the Hawk King put a price on our heads so large that pretty much everyone in Aerie will be looking for us. So, you know, nothing too new for us. Mud looked around the lighthouse inn cautiously and leaned in close. So, where is it you have to go? Some place called Dragon's Well. Hmm, I do not know where that is. But my cousin might, and if it's somewhere in the Rock Sea, I'm sure it will be a dangerous quest. I've had enough danger already. Thank you very much. Steve whined as he played with his leftover food. Oh, don't be such a chicken. The entire dining room of the Lighthouse Inn went silent. Uncle Seamus looked around the silent room. What? What'd you say? An angry voice from a dark corner in the dining room yelled. Now what? Steve said with a groan. He watched other patrons move out of the way as a fast-moving creature headed towards Uncle Shameless. Chairs were knocked over, as were other patrons, as a shadowy figure approached their table. Uncle Shameless still had no idea what was going on. He looked at mud. A look of terror covered the duck's face. What? Uncle Shameless turned slowly to see what Mud was looking at. A five-foot-tall, stocky chicken. Steve could tell he was a rooster by the large crest on his head. He wore random pieces of dented, scratched armor and had spurs attached to his scaly, bare feet. On the chicken's back was a large axe covered with dark stains. His face and body were a living gallery of scars. What did you say? The chicken demanded as he stared down Uncle Shameless in his seat. Before Uncle Shameless could answer, the rooster continued. I don't know where you humans get the ideas that we chickens are cowardly. Do you want me to prove to you that we aren't? The rooster made a fist and waved it in a threatening manner in front of Uncle Shameless's face. Tuga ran as fast as her little turtle legs would let her and stood between Uncle Shameless and the angry rooster. Now come on, Jer. He didn't mean anything by that. He's not from around here. Uncle Seamus leaned towards Zeroth and whispered, I take it you guys don't use the word, uh, chicken, the same way we do back in Michigan, huh? How'd you guess? Zeroth quipped as he stealthily reached inside his cloak for Gladius. 
I'm talking to you, human. Uncle Shameless put his hand on Zero's arm before the hunter took out his weapon and whispered, Don't worry, I'll handle this. <clears throat> Friend, I apologize. I misspoke. You certainly did. What I meant to say was... Uh, oh, be such a chicken. Uh, you see, I was trying to inspire the boy to be as brave and fierce as you clearly are. Mm, that does not sound grammatically correct. Well, it's an old proverb back home in Michigan, and uh, they don't always translate too uh, clearly into modern speech. Oh, be such a chicken is a human proverb? You better believe it. In fact, it's practically a regular greeting back home. Why, you'll be walking down the street and people will shout, Oh, be such a chicken. Right, boy? He kicks Steve gently under the table to get the boy's attention. Yes. Yes, it is. You see... A simple slip of the tongue on my part. I apologize. Jer looked at Uncle Shameless for several moments and then turned his gaze to Steve. You should heed his advice, young one. Apology accepted, friend. Jer turned and walked back to his table. Tuga breathed a sigh of relief and then proceeded to set up the chairs that the angry rooster had knocked over. Continue being the great big chicken you are, good sir. You are listening to the Magic of Airy podcast, a free audiobook podcast by Daniel J. Hogan. Copies of the original novel can be purchased through magicofairy.com and amazon.com. You can also download a PDF of the entire novel for only $3.75. Visit magicofairy.com for more details. And remember, Airy is spelled E-Y-R-I. The group said their goodbyes and thank yous to Tuga and followed Mud to the famous docks of Tall. To hide themselves, Mud had given everyone a long, dark cloak to wear. Except for Zeroth, who already was wearing one. Unfortunately, because everyone in the group was taller than most of the population of the duck town, the towering cloaked figures stood out in the crowd rather easily. I think we're getting more looks now than before, Steve noted observantly noticing the many pairs of eyes watching them. Nonsense! You blend! Don't worry! Too bad we don't have those raven's mist cloaks. Those would sure come in handy. No, they wouldn't. I never want to turn to mist ever again. Uncle Shameless shuddered, thinking about his fight with the raven twins and turning to mist along with Delu. Eventually, the group reached the main docks of Tall, which were a series of long wooden docks that reached far out into the bay from every direction. Boats and ships of all sizes sat tied to the docks and rocked gently in the water. Steve had never seen so many ships and boats before. Some were very large, others were much smaller. Crews ran up and down the docks to their respective ships, carrying supplies or just trying to make it to their vessel before it left without them. The planks of the dock creaked and groaned under Steve's feet, and he felt some of them give a little under his steps. What's that smell? Smells like... Steve asked as a distant, familiar odor attacked his nostrils. That's just the sea. Steve was fairly certain he did not just smell the sea, but he could not determine what it was. He absentmindedly looked around, his head hidden under his dark cloak. Steve thought he caught a pair of eyes watching him from behind a pile of crates. Steve drew his cloak tighter and walked closer to Uncle Shameless. 
He glanced back at the eyes again, but they were gone. The group traveled for a while down the nearly endless alleys of docks and ships until Mud came to a stop. My cousin's ship is at the end of this dock, but I have to warn you, he is a little odd. I would expect nothing less around here. Wait, 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 wait. You say your cousin's a little odd, right? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, would you say that he is so odd that he has gone quackers? Uncle Shameless stumbled around while laughing at his terrible joke. He kept laughing until he realized everyone had left him standing by himself. Uncle Shameless took a drink from his wineskin. Sheesh. Tough crowd. The companions walked down the rickety wooden docks and came to a stop at the last vessel. It was about medium size compared to the vessels nearby. Not nearly as large as the massive cargo ships that they had passed, but bigger than most of them. Steve noticed at the front of the ship was a large figurehead in the shape of an eagle's head and beak. It was so large that it took up most of the ship's bow. As the morning light gleamed off the eagle's beak, Steve realized that it was made of metal, not wood. He wondered why a ship would need a metal figurehead. That's your cousin's boat? Ship! Corrected a high-pitched voice with authority. Mud turned around. Ah! There he is! Allow me to introduce my cousin and captain of this bow ship, Alexander the Small. Mud made a grand gesture to the green feathered duck standing on the deck of the ship. Alexander the Small was, in fact, very small, even for a duck. He was barely three feet high and had difficulty seeing everyone over the edge of the ship. He wore a pair of ratty shorts held up by mismatched suspenders that crossed the front of his chest, forming a giant X. Alexander's eyes were wild and his feathers disheveled, suggesting he'd been out to sea far too long. On his head, he wore a dented saucepan, with the long handle sticking out behind him. A string of beads tied to a feather hung from the tip of the handle. Steve studied the little duck, paying particular attention to his dented saucepan hat. Oh, this is just swell. Alexander jumped from the deck of the ship and landed on the dock next to Mud. They shared a brief hug and Mud turned to leave. You are in good hands, my friends. He walked to Steve and said with a little bow, And good luck to you, young sir. Alexander the Small took careful steps around Steve and the rest of the group, looking them over and sizing them up. So, Muddy tells me you need to go somewhere. He said, giving Zero the suspicious stare. And that you need to hide from old fire eyes. Yes, we do. Zeroth answered coldly, detecting Alexander's critical gaze. You certainly have an interesting name. Alexander put his hands on his little duck hips and smiled widely. Why, thank you. It was my mother's. Alexander led the group onto his ship, the Griffin. It was then that everyone noticed the ship's lack of sails. In the middle of the ship where the main sails should have been was a giant tree covered with bright green leaves. Two large paddle wheels, half sticking out of the water, jutted out from both sides of the ship. It reminded Steve of the old ferry boat that River City had resting in dry dock near the Grand River, the Ypsilanti Queen. Before anyone could ask where the sails were, Uncle Shameless spoke up. 
So, um, Al, what's, uh, with your metal hat there? Alexander turned to face the much taller human. Oh, it is very important. All of my crew wears iron pots and pans on their heads. And so will all of you once we depart. Why? inquired Steve, even though he was afraid of the possible answer. Alexander moved in closer to the group, as if he was about to share an important secret. Pixie people. This concludes today's episode of The Magic of Airy. Make sure to join us again next time. Will Alexander agree to take Steve and his friends to Dragon's Well? Will Alexander trust Zeroth? Who are the pixie people Alexander mentioned? Find out in the next exciting episode of The Magic of Airy. The production date of this episode was May 24th, 2010. Help support this free podcast by using the PayPal donate button on the website. Make sure to follow Daniel J. Hogan on Twitter or look for the Magic of Airy fan page on Facebook. Just search for Magic of Airy. The Magic of Airy, the podcast, written and produced by Daniel J. Hogan. This podcast was produced in GarageBand and Audacity on a Mac. Some sound effects and music are provided by freesound.org. Other sound effects and music provided by GarageBand. For more information or to buy a copy of the original novel, please visit magicofairy.com or danieljhogan.com. And remember, Airy is spelled E-Y-R-I. And as always, thanks for listening.